0: You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit CanbyFoursquare.com to learn more. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. This is a great morning for all of us. Annette and I are, are so amazingly blessed to be part of your church family. I think that's what we think about a lot during our Christmas season, is we are blessed, and we want to thank you, really thank you for being you, uh, because you guys really are amazing. And by the way, last week re- we received our our holiday offering, and you gave over thirteen thousand dollars to the holiday offering. That is really amazing. You can clap for yourself if you'd like to do that. That's good. Yeah. So if you remember, uh, half of it will go to Canby Center, who really serves our community well. The other half will go to the Dr. Davies Fund. The Dr. Davies Fund is a fund that uh, we give to first responders when they go on site and they see the trauma that has caused a family. Uh, They might be lacking something during that tragedy. The first responders are able to give them gift cards to go to the different places that they need to go, whether it's to buy clothes or food or whatever. You are helping community. And so we want to thank you for being part of that. You guys are are really a blessing. I also want to thank you for the Christmas cards. Been getting a lot of Christmas cards. What you need to know about those Christmas cards is every year we get your cards, we pray for you and your family. So that's just our habit. We sit down, we look at those cards every day, and we pray for for those that send us Christmas cards. So if you haven't sent us one, we'll still pray for you, but uh, you could help us. By sending us some Christmas cards and uh, that, that'll make sure you get prayed for. We also want to thank you for praying for us because I know some of you have that same, that same habit when you get our Christmas card you pray for us and our family and we are just really deeply blessed by that. Christmas season really is a, a time to rejoice but it's also a time where people are doing a lot of coming and going. And it wasn't that much different that first Christmas holiday, that first Christmas celebration. Mary and Joseph traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem. uh, The shepherds traveling from the fields of Bethlehem to see baby Jesus. The wise men who, who, who traveled from the furthest place imaginable on the planet, the Far East. What did they do? They went to Jerusalem and then they headed out to Bethlehem to greet this child. What I want you to do today is I want you to open your Bibles with me if you would. Open your Bibles to John chapter 1. That's the gospel of John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles under the seats around this place and we also put the scripture up on the overhead so you can follow along there. We're going to look at John chapter 1 today. The reason we're looking at John chapter 1 is because here we read about another Christmas story. And the Christmas story, the Christmas journey here, is told a bit different than the other Christmas journeys told in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and the Gospel of Luke. Those Christmas stories are told from our eyes. They're actually told from an earthly perspective how they are seeing, how we are seeing the Christmas journey unfold. Well, the story John tells us is from a heavenly perspective, and even more from a heavenly Father's perspective. Now, for those that have been with us for the last few weeks studying the book of First John, this isn't a surprise to you that we would camp out here this morning for just a little bit, because it's the same guy who wrote this gospel that wrote First John, and what we know about him is he is an amazing father. And the reason we know that is because every time he writes a note or a letter, he addresses it to my dear children. So he's talking to us from a father's perspective. He's talking to us about what it means to be children of our Heavenly Father. John is highly qualified to speak this way. When you read about his life, you understand he was the only apostle that was present at the crucifixion of God's only Son. And then he was one of the first apostles that was present at that same son's resurrection. Isn't that amazing? No one else has those credentials. He's the only one. And so we can speak about John uh, communicating to us something about a father's heart because that's really who he was. That's what he wanted to do. And once again, what I'm gonna ask you to do is I've asked you every Sunday in the last few weeks is, is not only think with me, but I'm gonna ask you to feel with me. Feel with me just a little bit about how John must have felt and how the Father in heaven must have felt. Father in heaven sending his only son. His only son would come here, live a sinless life. He would die on the cross for us and then he would raise again to eternal life. And he's forgiven us of our sins. Imagine what the father had to feel like sending his own son on that first Christmas journey. Now the, the thought we need to avoid is this. Well, that, that's God. You know, and and it was easier for God to send his son than it would be for me to send my son or daughter. Now, I want you to pause just for a moment and realize that you are in the image of God. So the author of feelings is God. So you feel because God gave you those feelings because God himself feels and so what we need to experience here today is probably something more in our hearts. Something that, that, that takes us on this journey, that puts us in a place that, that I know we can't altogether imagine, but we can certainly put it into context in our own life. How many of you have ever sent away a, a son or daughter? I mean, the, the heartache that you feel when you see that son leaving or that daughter leaving. Maybe, maybe it's to college Maybe it's giving them a way to marriage. Now some of you might be applauding that or happy about that. but, but you know they're leaving, and probably one of the hardest things to do is, is to send a son or daughter to a foreign place to a war. the things that you might experience in your own heart. I've experienced that as a father. We have three children, and each one of them left the home, and, and it was hard on me. It was really hard. And, and I, I just remember them going and thinking, I don't think they're going to ever come back. Sometimes they do, but I wasn't sure. I remember when my uh, second child, Ryan, left. He left here and went off to the East Coast to go to college. And I, I just remember the days and the weeks that followed, and I couldn't, I couldn't get over this, uh, this almost mild depression I had because I, I wanted to be with him. I wanted to hang out with him. I wanted to spend time with him. And, and I remember one day I was just praying, Lord, I, I just feel this kind of heartache. I, I miss my son. Uh, 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 would you help me? Would you help me with my son today? I Just, just help me get to closer to him somehow. And uh, Annette had asked me that day to, to do a little housework, and one of the things that I did was I, I took our dining room table, and I was fixing it, so I had to turn it up on its, on its top, and uh, the dining room table had a cylinder in it, a hollow cylinder, and I, I looked down into this cylinder, and I, I found something, I saw a package that was stuffed up into this cylinder, My son, who was sent off to college, he's high protector. He's one of those kids, even when he was little, he thought he was going to go in the Marines, you know. I mean, he was going to be a Navy SEAL. This is just the way Ryan lived his life. And so I I pulled this mysterious package out from this cylinder, and and it was a sweater. And in the sweater, there was wrapped some toy guns and some toy knives, See? Because he thought if there was ever a time that we got robbed, he could run and pull those out. And you know what? That sends a robber running. You know that. And I found this package. And I just, I just, I did. I lost it. I did. I went, wow, God, you're so good to send me this time capsule. He probably put it in there when he was four or five years old. And now he's off to school. And I get to experience this. And just felt closer. You know, just felt closer to him. So who best than John to share with us this Christmas journey of a son from a father's perspective? When you look in the Gospel of John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, it says this. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. It shines, that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then you go to this great statement in verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. You see, God the Father sent his son. His son journeyed from heaven to earth. And that really is the first leg of the journey of Jesus Christ here to this planet. So here's what is so critical for us to understand. In fact, understanding this is the difference between life and death. And it's so simple. And sometimes we just leap right over the top of this. What we need to understand is it's God who initiated a relationship with you. It's God who took the initiative to come and be with us. It's God who reached out. It's God who said, I love you, and I want to have a relationship with you. It's not, nor could it be the other way around. How can the sinner get to the sinless? That's a good question. How can the powerless get to the all-powerful? How can the imperfect get to the perfect? What we understand about this is God so loved the world that he sent his only and one son. See, the sinless came to the sinner. That's what happened. The all-powerful came to the powerless, and the perfect came to the imperfect, and that's us. You see, that's how salvation came to us, And I want you to notice the language that John uses here. He starts it off in verse 1. It says this In the beginning was the word. And I don't want you to lose the significance of this phrase. Why does John use this language? Why is he talking, unlike the other gospel writers, he's saying, In the beginning was the word? Well, the reason he's doing that is because he's taking us back to the garden, he's taking us all the way back to the book of Genesis, where man first tried to get to God and ultimately wanted to be a God. That all took place in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. You remember the serpent came and, and tempted, tempted Eve, and it says this, You will not certainly die. This is the serpent talking. For God knows that when you eat from it, from this fruit, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see, this has always been a temptation for us. Us trying our best, working our hardest, developing religious frameworks that somehow we could climb up and touch God. Those kind of frameworks, that kind of work ethic in getting to God doesn't, and I'll put it this way, simply work. Because it's not about us getting to God, it's about God getting to us. See, God came And became one of us. Jesus journeyed from heaven to earth to reverse the curse of sin in our lives. Now, there's more in this phrase, too. And there's more that that talks to us about the beginning in Genesis. Because you have to go back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, what John is provoking his readers to think about is not only how... We were deceived in the garden. But he's also saying, you know who you're looking at? You know who the Word really is? The Word, capital W, is the Creator. He wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And if you were a a, a Jewish audience, you would have picked that up immediately. Oh, he's talking about God. He is talking to us about the Creator. Bottom line, John tells us that Jesus is God in the flesh. The word in Greek is the word logos. Maybe you've heard that. It's a familiar word. We, uh, we understand that word. It means the totality. It means all of the word. The expression of someone perfectly. And in this passage, that's exactly what's being stated here. It is God. This is God. That means Jesus is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the word that spoke all things into existence. And the Hebrew word here, again, is synonymous with God. The word was God and the word was with God. The word became God. So what we understand here is Jesus is God in the flesh. And he traveled all the way from his heavenly home to this earthly planet. So when I think about things like this, I know sometimes that it's lofty and it's theology. I mean, trying to put together the incarnation and all the things that were going on there and deal with this theologically, I, I have to put this into real terms. So let me do it for you. Uh, to make this real, heaven was his home. He owned it. He didn't pay any rent, didn't pay any mortgage. It was his. It was his perfect place a perfect place of satisfaction, a perfect place of peace. It was the best of everything. The Christmas journey brought Jesus from there uh, to here. The word became flesh, it says, and dwelt among us. He moved to our world. He was born from one of our women. He lived in one of our villages. He was born in one of our stables right here on this planet. So in the future, when you read John 1.1, which I hope you do, and the phrase, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, remember the, the gravity of what you're really saying. The practicality of what you're really saying is this. The creator of all that's been made is the redeemer of all that's been broken. Remember. This is God in the flesh. He journeyed here for us. There's another truth about the Christmas journey. It's not only only God coming from eternity to us. It's about his son being sent from eternity into time. So we have this story here that we read about this wonderful journey, about God coming to us, about touching our lives. He journeyed from heaven to earth, but he also journeyed from eternity into time. That's hard for me to imagine. I can't, I, I can't get my head around, I don't think any one of us can get our head around eternity. I mean, have you ever tried to do that? Uh, The the closest place I come to that happening is is a a summer evening at 2 in the morning and laying under stars where there are no city lights and looking at the magnificent creation of God and going, oh, this must be just a a touch of eternity. Uh, You you, you almost lose your breath. And, And that's what eternity really is all about. But he came from this place that he wasn't bound by time into time. And since none of us have a perspective of eternity, at least not that one you've experienced, uh, I think the only thing that we can really speak to just a little bit is when we know about the time side of the equation. What is that? According to our measurements, time is confined. What time are you going to be there? I'm going to be there at 2 o'clock. It's it's, it's a particular time. It's confined. How long are you going to be there? One hour from here to here. Time is measured. We measure time. What we do is whether it's 2,000 years or 10,000 years or a million years or some people like to say a billion years. When you put all that together, in the beginning was before all of that. The beginning speaks to eternity. When Jesus, the word, came into time and he fit into our schedule and he became part of our history, he came at exactly the right time. He came to reset our clocks and how we measure even life today has everything to do with his arrival here on this planet. We, 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 we arrange everything according to his time here. He came from eternity into time. And then I think the last thought about Christmas, the Christmas journey from the father's perspective is that his son journeyed to be God in the flesh. We've talked a little bit about that, but dive in just a little more with me. What are we talking about here? We're talking about deity became humanity. That's what we're talking about. This was something the Old Testament prophets spoke of. Often they would talk about a God coming, the, their God coming and spending time with us and being in the flesh, and, and they used the word Emmanuel. Isaiah is a perfect example, forecasting, uh, prophesying, being prophetic about a soon arrival of, of the Messiah, a Messiah of the whole world. And what did they say? Emmanuel, God is with us. He didn't just stay in heaven. He, he just didn't do his heavenly things, but he journeyed. He became God in the flesh. This is what the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. And I love this. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture of all time. It says, Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself By becoming obedient to death. And here's what it says. Even the death of the cross. God becomes flesh. The word became flesh and lived among us. Fully God. Fully human. When he became human. He was no less God. He he chose to humble himself. Take on the physical limitations of humanity. Of of, of time. Of all the things we've already spoken of. Hunger. Hunger was part of his life thirst was part of his life temptation was part of his life all without ever crossing the line of sin all without ever stepping over that line he was perfect he was unique he was the only one i think when i hear that kind of message when i hear the truth about this i I, I think that that oftentimes we think no one knows what i feel You know, you might be thinking that right now. No one knows what I feel. No one knows what I'm going through. But here what we see in God becoming flesh is he knows. He's lived in the flesh. He knows the limitations. He knows the temptations. He knows the detail of human life. He's done it. He journeyed the same way that we are journeying right now without sin. What that tells me more than anything else, and especially in the world we live in, it tells me that I'm not alone. See, loneliness is a plague today, isn't it? I mean, the the loneliness that that people can experience and feel in a crowd, even in a family, in the workplace, I think sometimes loneliness is, 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 is driving the world crazy. But God coming in the flesh is telling us, you don't need to be lonely, that I will be with you. And the promise is, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. He says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. He says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. You see, if uh, we're dealing with loneliness today, I just want to say, emphatically, you are not alone. Emmanuel, God is with us. You know, when I read the story of this journey, of this what we call incarnation, God becoming flesh, I think sometimes I'll I'll go to the legal side of everything because certainly something happened here. My sins were dealt with. They were taken care of. And oftentimes I'll say, okay, okay, so he made this journey, heaven to earth, eternity to time, to be God in the flesh, but he was obligated. Just, it was just a simple obligation. He, he was just performing a transaction for his Father in heaven. And, and, and sons will do that out of obligation. They're required to. That's what they're supposed to do. You do what your Father asked you to do and that's all Jesus was doing is he was carrying out his Father's orders without a heart, without emotion. He was just doing what his Father told him to do. Here's what I know. Part of him coming had everything to do with this legal transaction that we needed someone to take care of our sins, that that someone had to step into our place because, again, we can't reach God. He has to reach us. And that's the only way that we are redeemed. The only way. It's called justification, that I'm justified. Our debt of sin needed to be paid. We, we, We were the ones that deserved to pay it, but we didn't. You see, Jesus agreed with his father to take our place and live on this earth without sin, die our death on the cross, and then he rose again. And he did all of this. Listen, he did all of this, people will say, out of a sole obligation. But that's not what God's word tells us. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, And for the joy, the joy, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who is the joy? You are the joy. He had you in mind. Now remember this, I I like to think this, and I think it's true, is that while Jesus was on the cross, the joy that took over in his spirit, to endure what he endured, to go through what he went through, was was not just fulfilling something that was a legal obligation. He was doing it because he had joy for you. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that he would atone for our sins. He knew that there would be forgiveness of sin. He knew you would be free for the joy that was set before him. You could even put it this way. I'm the joy that was set before him. The people around you are the joy that was set before him. You see, to have deep joy, this goes beyond happiness. This goes beyond the temporary. This goes into eternity. This is something bigger and greater than all of us. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And what did that do? joy do for us? What did that enduring the cross do for us, for all mankind? Well, it fulfilled our wildest dreams and wildest hopes. That's why we've chosen this theme this year, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. See, why does loneliness creep in? It creeps in because hope wanes. The Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. But we are people who have a reason to hope in Jesus Christ. It was joy that brought him here. It was love that brought him here. (laughs) But it fulfilled our hopes as well. I love what 1 Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into this inheritance that can never perish It can never spoil. It can never fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Robbers can't take it. Time can't wear it out. It's for you, preserved for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last day. We're getting close to the end of Advent. We're almost there. Christmas Eve is coming. Advent is disappearing one day at a time. But let me remind you again what Advent represents to us. Advent simply means the coming. And I love it because it it doesn't qualify it. It just says the coming. And what it really means to us who believe in Jesus Christ is Advent is the coming, the waiting with hope, the already and the not yet. See, the already coming is Jesus as a child, as a baby. That's what we're celebrating. But when we celebrate Advent, we can't just stay focused on Jesus coming as a baby in the flesh. We have to also know there's another Advent. And that's he will be coming again. See, Advent is celebrating both comings. One we've seen. We've witnessed And many say, and we've touched with our own hands. Another that's coming is our great eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. Advent, we have hope. Today we have hope because he's come and he will come again. Would you bow your head with me? Lord, we just want to thank you today for the joy that that you, you bring to us. And that today we would make a decision in our own hearts to invest in you, to to put our hope in you. And by doing so, there is a reason to be joyful. Lord, we just thank you that you made this amazing Christmas journey for us. That what you did for us is absolutely remarkable. It's something that we rejoice over because you came from heaven to earth. You came from eternity to time and you came God in the flesh. And today we, we just celebrate that. Thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you will continue to do. Thank you for initiating that relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say together, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canby4square.com.